Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest, Enrique Gonzalez, has a hands-on approach to life. He has a military background, a love for farming. He's the host of Aloha Friday Live. And today we're going to discuss the fundamentals of good and bad leadership. And there is a difference. Enrique, welcome. Mr. Aloha Friday in the house. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing great too. What's the jazz? Is that like your walk-up music? Well, I was just sitting here. I like to join in early just in case people want to, you know, test some equipment or whatever. But I usually uh, throw some epidemic sound in the background. It's a blessing to have a roadcaster because you can run all of that singularly. So I hook my phone up to a, a Bluetooth and I can run epidemic sound in the background and do all kinds of stuff. That's so much fun. I actually want to get one of those. Tell me about the evolution of your show. Yeah, well, the, the evolution, it started with a thought, right? Everything does, you know, entrepreneurship, podcasting, whatever it is, it started with a thought and it was right around the pandemic. Everybody's on lockdown. And I said, okay, well, you know, in-person meetings are gone, but you got to be resourceful. You have to think about a way of getting the information you want in people's hands. And so you already know that I'm passionate about making sure people don't hurt in the workplace from poor leadership. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe you can't see them. Maybe you can't go to them. But the easiest way is just just get a podcast going. Speak about the things that you want them to know. And so that's that's how it evolved little by little. You know, very simple. It was with my phone at first. And then I said, oh, well, let me get, I got a webcam. Let me throw that. But the the nice thing is that I started video right from the beginning. So it was always on video. But yeah, that's how you got it. Let's go deeper into that. You don't want people to hurt in the workplace thing. Because you said the reason that you were starting your show was writing a wrong. Yes, writing a wrong. That's my why, right? Uh, Guy Kiyosaki, he had spoken once and he said, hey, if you're not doing one of these three things in entrepreneurship, then don't do it. Don't go into it. And one of those things he mentioned was writing a wrong. And it, as soon as he said it, I'm like, that's exactly why I'm in this. So let me uh, real quick, young sailor, Navy, a very prominent sailor, senior enlisted, just chose to pick me as his his way of showing how, how much authority he had and picked at my, let's just say my accent, right? My English accent. Maybe at the time it was thick. I don't know. I can't remember. It was 30 years ago. But to me, I've always spoken like this. So I don't know what it was that he was after, but his beratement and constant highlighting of 
of, of me in front of my peers just kind of took a toll on me. The good thing is that I went one direction. And in those situations, you can either shy down and break down total collapse, right? Because people do that. I went the other way. I went, okay, let it be the last time somebody pick at me, <laughs> on me in front of some people that are my peers. And I made it my goal to digest the, the dictionary pronunciation, definitions, use of words. And the man made me a monster, right? Because I came back after I had digested all this and started dominating my community, my environment, by my speech, by my words, by my communication. So it worked out for me, but you know, it was a choice that I really shouldn't have even had to make, right? When we're leaders, sometimes we put our subordinates and our team members in positions they should have never even been in and all because we're successful at what we do. <laughs> so I've also heard you do a show around leadership is a choice. It is. A lot of people think that you have been chosen. That makes you a leader. You have to choose to be a leader every single moment of your day. From the moment I wake up, before I go try to fix anybody else's life, I make sure that mine's is right because I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I don't want to be telling somebody how they could do this and maybe they could try that and maybe they could go this route or that route. And I've never even been there. It's easy to do. It happens every day. Sam or Sally, just because they were great technicians, now they're in charge of everybody. Maybe that's not the right choice. Who is the one that has the best people skills in your group? Maybe that person should be the leader. Who can empathize with folks when things are not so happy? Maybe that person should be the leader. And maybe they're not as technical and as technically savvy as so-and-so. But guess what? You already have a person that's that way, so why you want to? We pick for the wrong reasons and we place people in positions of leadership for the wrong reasons. And then we wonder why we got so much hurt. You as a leader, even if you're placed there, make a choice. What, why is it so hard to say, Hey, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Why? Because money, money's connected to it. Power's connected to it. Positions are connected to it. You know, I've always wanted that corner office. I've always wanted my own cubicle. I'm sick of being in the, in this little box, right? So there are so many different things and reasons why people want to be in these positions, but never because they want to be a leader. And that is a totally different thing. And so leadership is a choice. You have to choose to be, but first with yourself. What did that leader say to you that set your soul on fire? Do you want to share that? So there was a lot of things, but I don't remember so many of the things that he said. What I remember is the faces of the people listening while I was being told. And so, you know, there was a lot of snickering. And I'll tell you, right, in my group, I was the only brown skin in that group. I was. I grew up in a technically uh, intense environment. Why I was in there because I was good at math and science, right? That's, that's how I got the job. But it was dominated. And there were not many people like me. Not to say that that was the reason. Who knows? I don't really, I, I never dug into it that deep, but I do remember seeing my counterparts, some laughing, me experiencing the instant removal of my influence capability, the instant removal of my ability to even be um, uh, up here. Because every time that happened, I was 
seen less than every single time. So that's what I remember. You know, the feeling of, man, I can't even face my peers now because they see this guy. He's someone they look up to and he's doing this in front of everybody. And so now when I go on my own to ask for this or for that, you know, I, I wouldn't get it. But like I said, he pushed me in a direction that before you knew it, I remember this year, uh, this particular year very clearly because unfortunately, and I, and I feel bad about it now, right? <laughs> I feel bad about it now, but after I had won this award, I rubbed it in people's faces. <laughs> I did. I was young. I was, I was on a mission. Nobody else, nobody else, you know? And so there was this program called observer of the month. I was a meteorologist and oceanographer. So observer of the month means a weather observer for the month. That means you had the lowest amount of errors in your observations. And I want every month for the whole entire year. And I did that with a, with a purpose, you know, and it was, you know, that's the, that's why I say, you know, I created a monster early on. It was, let's just say I was not humble. I have never known a weatherman to get it that right either. Right. And, and so, and this is funny because there's a difference between the observation and a forecast. We know weather people for forecast, but we don't know whether people, the ones that do the behind the scenes, their accuracy of the current state allows the forecast to be better. Now we use models now, you know, we use a computer models, but all of those observations get pushed into those weather models and makes the model run better because they're going off of accurate data. And so a lot of people don't see how that actually works. Uh, the forecast, well, you know, you always have somebody to, they're either really acquainted with the environment and their region uh, and know their stuff. And, but sometimes it can easily miss if you rush through it right? because weather and environment is layered. And if you miss one of those layers, you're in trouble. <laughs> Talk to me about how important affirming people is in the workplace. Yeah. Affirmations. Well, first you got to be acquainted with affirmations, right? If you don't know about affirmations and you don't know how, the, how important they are in your life and you don't know how to implement it in your life, you're never going to touch anybody's life with affirmation because you just won't know. I read the Bible. There's a lot of affirmations in there. So constantly I'm saying, okay, okay. I, I could see that. All right. I'm gonna apply that because that really does sound, it's sound, it, it makes sense and I'm gonna apply it. So affirmations are just words unless they're applied. First is a practice within you. If you can grab onto some affirmations that help you become better and, and help you achieve and things like that, then great. Then you can go on and pass it on to other people. The power in affirmation it is incalculable. You have no idea of what a word or a comment of affirmation into somebody's life will ever do. It's like going into the garden and always watering with water. But then you happen to go by Lowe's, you pick up this green thing called miracle Grow, <laughs> and you bring it back, right? So that's like the application. You just, uh, you just got a tool and now you come back and you put that on your plants along with some water and forget it. You're going to grow stuff that you thought that you, you would never grow. And so that's the same with people. Once a leader gets a hold of affirmation for themselves, they know how powerful it is, and then they start to apply it to people, and then their people grow through these words of affirmation. Now, I will caveat unearned affirmation. It's a killer. 
And this is what I mean by if a person is not positioned to receive the affirmation or positioned to even know what to do with the affirmation or is not even hasn't even done anything. Have you seen a person get awarded for something they didn't do? It's the worst thing ever. They're surprised. And so are we. (laughs) It happens. So a leader that just throwing words out there to affirm folks that, that are not ready, you're wasting your time. You have to know where you plant your seeds. You have to know where you water. You have to know when it's time to add some miracle growth. You have to know where that affirmation is going to land. And so affirmations cannot just be nilly willy thrown around. They have to be intended. You have to know when to land an affirmation on somebody when they need it most. Who has affirmed you? God. (laughs) God first, my wife. She is probably the single-handedly the human being that I know that has affirmed me the most. And that's a blessing. There are spouses out there that never affirm their spouse. My mentors, my goodness, I have five mentors. All of them actually make up my my advisory board for my company (laughs) because I love them so much, but they're good because they know how to apply in terms of affirmation when it's needed and withhold it when it's not needed. And so that's why I gravitate to them. And individuals like, hey, even you, even you. I was reading a recommendation you put on my LinkedIn post that affirmed me. So thank you for that, number one. But, you know, so there's a countless people that throughout our lifetime have said great things to help us and motivate us and encourage us to keep going. So, you know, I, I don't know all the faces and I can't tell all the names, but uh, it, it's it's been a lot. Well, you're welcome. And I just want to like let people know like how easy it can be to affirm because if you have an idea to do it, just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. And like you said, it can be like miracle grow. You don't know what just saying one nice thing to someone can turn into. Like I literally had some girl reach out to me this past week. She hadn't talked to me in two years two years. And all she said was like, I'm sorry, I haven't kept up with you in the last couple of years. I wanted to let you know though, that like, I have been listening to your podcast. Like I have not had any other messages from her. And she was like, there's this guy that has really helped me overcome in my mental health. And I really feel like from listening to your podcast that he would be a good fit. How can you not respond to that? Like it was so from the heart. You know, it wasn't somebody just sending you their bio and headshot and they're like, oh, I like the title of one of your episodes. Like it was a couple paragraphs about, you know, how we met, how she hadn't kept in touch with me, what she'd been up to, how she'd been working a hundred hour weeks. And that from her listening to my show and from the, what she's overcome in the last two years, she thought this guy would be good for me. I mean, that gets an immediate response. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, you just remind me, you know, I seldom reach out just to reach out. But if I do, you know that I thought of you. I try not to let time slip me by in terms of, hey, you thought about this. Let's send send something, do something so that at least you can make a connection. And then maybe if you need to follow up with more stuff, you can say, hey, can we talk later on this week or whatever? But it's so important as humans to remember that whether you believe it or not, we're connected in so many different ways. One ripple is affected. Uh, you know, it's it's felt. And so, you know, just cast it out there. 
You know, you just don't know when that rock or whatever it is you're throwing and hits that water, what effect that ripple will, will have. And the funny thing is that it touches many people. I really want to know like what you've learned from gardening. Cause you said that like very few people like in the workplace really ask about your side hobbies or things that you're like into outside of the workplace, like that you love jazz or that you love music or that you love gardening. Let's talk about how asking, what are you into outside of here? How that can make interesting things blossom. Yeah. The leaders, right? That's what I do. That's what I, I focus on. But people in general, they're just satisfied with what they know. You know, it's okay. If you don't want to dig in deeper, then just consider your relationship very shallow. But don't say you're my friend and you don't know I love jazz or I garden or, you know, things like that, that, that are very easy if you ask me. But yeah, so there's a lot of shallow relationships in the world. They're skin deep, right? They don't go in any further than that uh, just because people are satisfied with it. But what you forfeit in those shallow relationships is knowing that I garden every single day. And I could walk out by the studio, go out the door and I'm in my garden. Right. And the reason why I garden, number one, it was a, a hobby passed down to me by my mom. She was always growing something. And so growing up with that and seeing that, and I saw how much she enjoyed it. Then I took an interest in it, but mainly from the serenity Zen type of feel now. But I love growing things because I also cook. So if I grow what I need for cooking, then I'm winning. I don't have to run to the store. I, you know, I, I make a prosciutto toast with mozzarella and sage sauce, butter sauce on it. And I have a nice big old bush of sage growing out there. And I just cut the stuff. It's fresh. It smells so good. It tastes so good. I would not have that if I didn't grow my stuff, but I need a place where I could digress and degauze and the garden is it for me. I take pleasure and a lot of lessons come out of the garden, especially in leadership. It just happened. I tried putting miracle Grow on one plant, not knowing the properties in it and it burnt it. It burnt the plant. I'm like, well, hold on. Everybody else is good. Well, that particular plant, you can't use it. From there, I get a lot of leadership lessons. When you try to apply a particular strategy with a person and they shut down. Well, it wasn't, it's not them. It's you as a leader. You don't know your person. You don't know your people. So get smart on your people and stop burning them right by applying uh, strategies that you think is going to work for everybody. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, I get a lot of leadership lessons from the garden, but I also get a lot of peace and I get to think to myself and I get to speak to myself. So what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I do it. You know, where is it that you see, you know, roadblocks? What do you need? To, okay, so now that you know, I go to my coaching. Now that you know, well, what are you going to do? Okay, well, I could do this and that, you know, so I'm able to use that environment for multiple uses, but it's one that I've identified that's the best for me. I love that example because it honestly reminds me of a time at Springer where I tried to make someone something that they were not. I had this one guest who you've seen these kind of guests. They go after the crowd and they're like, I'll take your man. I'll take your boyfriend. Yeah. What are you looking at? That's right. And she was amazing. She was a screamer. 
And she was very confident and she was like so good in that role. And then I had a story the following week where she, she was a bit of an oddball, you know, she was sleeping with her stepbrother and that in itself was odd enough. She didn't need to be the screamer, but since the crowd went so wild for the screamer, I tried to make this girl who just had a strange story be the screamer. And what did that do? It took away from the beauty and the weirdness of the story that would have been good if I didn't try to change it. And I learned such a lesson from that because she had beauty in the way that she told it without me egging her on. What I should have done was just affirmed her and and told her I want to know more about how that happened. That's such the great garden story. Now I want to know other garden stories. Like, has gardening led to your creativity at all? It has because it, it helps you to clear, clearly think through things before you go and try to implement them. Hastiness is a pitfall. There are some situations that call for a hasty decision, right? Do you want to jump in the bush or do you want to jump in the lake? I mean, which which one? Because a, a car's coming, you know. There are some situations where you just got to go with it and hurry up and do it. But for the most part in life, you have time. You have time. You don't have to rush immediately. And there's a power in being able to say, no, I need time to think about this. But people feel the pressure and they throw it out there, right? That environment allows me to think things out and speak to myself and say, okay, well, 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 if you do that, then what if this happens? And so I get to explore a way of doing things better. And creativity comes from solace time, right? Things, that area where you can just be able to retreat and say, what about this? I never thought about it. And most of those conversations are like, oh man, I didn't think about that. Well, then I'm, I'm gonna try that first and then I'll come back in case And so you're able to structure a good strategy around whatever it is that you wanted to do. So yeah, it it has definitely allowed me to be become more creative because I was able to explore more ideas in the silence. Yes. I do feel like the most creative ideas come to me at night when I slow my mind and meditate. Do you talk to your plants? Is there truth in that? I do. I do have a camera out there. I'll, maybe I'll send you the B-roll. <laughs> but we deal with nature. And unfortunately, as humans, we deal harshly with nature as if we were created to decimate it. I have learned by my spiritual life that I was created to care for what was presented to me. And so I speak to my plan especially if they throw in some tomatoes out, I'd be like, oh, look at you. Oh my goodness. You're going to be the best tomato I have seen out here. And I do, and I, I affirm the plants and my, my wife's laughs sometimes, but she has again, now she's got the habit. The reason I, I've seen in terms of a spiritual being, how my influence, even on the nature, I could see it. I mean, I, I've enjoyed everything I have in my garden. I mean, I bought a banana plant and had one. Now I didn't necessarily speak to it, but I do go around blessing my plants. Like, yo, I need y'all now. (laughs) If this market goes down, I'm going to need some bananas, (laughs) but I just, I went out there and there were four. Now I started with one and four shoots have come out. Now I got four banana plants. 
And so, you know, it is part of the process of bananas because bananas do spread. But if I treat what I'm supposed to care for with the delicacy and tenderness and the mindfulness that I supposed to, then I'll get the best of it. And the same thing is with people. If you're a leader, you are truly the caretaker of your group. And if you abuse it, that's what you, you're going to get abuse back. If you care for it, you're going to get a world-class award-winning top of the rung type of group, you know, and I've seen it. I think you could literally just do talks on lessons from the garden. <laughs> that is, that is. And I've done that. I've done a couple of videos way back in a, in when I started because I spent a lot of time in the garden that I spoke about the correlation between plants and people and how you take care of them and all that. I, I have done that. Wow. I love the correlation. Have you ever tried to grow something that didn't work out? They say I have a green thumb. There has not been many things that I have not tried that has not come up. As a matter of fact, I've had to kill off some stuff because it grew too good. I have a big yard, but I have no room for an avocado tree, right? And, and this thing was growing and I grew it from a seed. But guess what? I bring growth into the environment. I bring possibility into the environment. I bring the life. I bring life into my garden. You know, we're talking about affirmations. I'm bringing these things. I, I'm not waiting for them to pop into my garden. No, I'm bringing them as part of my toolbox to help them to facilitate growth, to encourage growth, you know, and to sometimes prepare because you have to prepare the ground for their arrival, for their growth and going from seed to plant, you know? So you have as much to do with plants growing as plants have to do with producing fruit. And it all goes together. I don't think most people realize that. What goes into taking something from a seed to a plant that produces more than one tree? How did you take that avocado seed and make it go out of control? <laughs> I, for one, there are stages with seeds, right? You could put a seed in the ground and it may not grow because some seedlings, you have to wait and apply moisture so that it can grow a root. So there are some seeds that you have to grow a root. And the, the avocado is one. And you, first you have to peel that brown piece off of the seed because that's a cocoon. But a lot of people put it in there and it won't grow. The next thing is that you have to allow roots to grow out the seed. So you have to plant it or you have to place it in a water base where the bottom is in the water, but the top is out. And so I used two picks, right? And then I used it to hold it up on the rim and it was always in water. And before long, you see the little root come down and the root comes down long enough. Then you can transplant that now into soil. But if you, okay, like with people. If I took somebody that we just hired as an admin person and said, you know what? No, no, no. I, I, I can't wait. You got to go into engineering and you got to start coding. <laughs> Not only is the person going to be like, what, what in the world? No, I'm an admin person. No, no, but I need you to code because I, I need this thing to go. I need this business to hurry up and grow. You're going to have catastrophic failure somewhere in your coding because that person wasn't meant to 
get in there that fast. You know, they have a lot to learn. So the same thing with seeds. I mean, if you try to rush the process, you're not, you're going to just going to get see a seed, going to stay a seed. You're not going to get anything. So you have to know these things. That's why I say I correlate a lot of it to leadership because it's true. You, you can fast track a person and they will burn out because they have not learned resistance. They have not learned persistence. They have not learned endurance. I mean, there's these little things, words that we, <laughs> that you need for the long haul. And so it's funny how if you don't know too much as a leader, you could really hurt your people. Yeah. Talk to me about some of the mentors who are, have really shaped you. Yeah. So at the earliest I can go back is to that time when I was with that senior enlisted leader. I had him, but guess what? On the other side, I had another guy that was a senior enlisted, but he wasn't senior enlisted of the command. He was a senior enlisted. And every time he heard something in public later on, he will pull me aside and try to fix what was done. Chief Williams is his his name. And don't know if he's still alive or where he's at, but he did what nobody else was willing to do. And it was to ensure that I didn't die to my beatings. And he's, he's really the, the one person that got me through that, that first three years of my service. So thank you, Chief Williams. Yeah. God bless that guy. Yep. You never tried to track him down. He was in a different field. He was not in my, my same field. It, it was not, it's not easy to go back into my community and say, where is, where is he now? I would have to have his full name. You know, back then you call him chief, you don't call him by the first name or nothing like that. If you called him anything else was Williams, right? <laughs> Chief Williams was it. So I don't have his full name, but I'm, I'm great with ancestry.com. So I, I, if I have his first name, I can get him. <laughs> but yeah, God bless him. He really did help me survive those three years. And then from then on, you leave people behind. Uh, that's in the enlisted that was doing all that. He retired. You know, you was able to, uh, oh, actually, you know, no, <laughs> that same senior enlisted that was in my first command. I went to another command. He was there, <laughs> but he was not in charge of me, but he was there. I was like, oh, Lord, <laughs> I can't escape you. No. And then, you know, throughout the years, you always have folks that stand out as leaders. They embody everything that, that you wish everybody else would be. But, you know, like a, a senior chief, Jim Rawls, he was my second senior enlisted. And now this senior chief was on it. That, that boy, he was the poster child of the Navy as a senior chief. And he's the one that taught me that it doesn't matter how old or how senior you get, you still represent your organization and you better do it right. And so I learned that from him and he's still out there because I know because I because I've seen him on LinkedIn and I've always admired him. He was one that I was like, OK, that, that guy must be promoted. They never promoted him. He retired as a senior chief and I was just as heartbroken as he was. So, yeah, so he retired and I was like, how could that guy? I don't understand it until I was a senior chief and I did not get promoted to master chief. Did you ever tell him I thought you should have been promoted? I don't know if I did. I don't know if I did. I know I've I've thought it ever since. <laughs> Maybe was, you should. I mean, I was, it's never too late until no, it's too yeah, late. Yeah. What made you want to join the Navy? Uh, the Air Force didn't want me. <laughs> <laughs> they're lost. <laughs> I was a, a junior ROTC student in Clinton high school in the Bronx. And I had, my trajectory was going, I was going air force. 
because it was an Air Force program. And I was actually ready to go to Cornell. And I was, you know, in 11th grade, I said, okay, I'm going to go into Cornell, go to their ROTC program and, you know, become an Air Force officer and, and whatever field it was. I didn't, I didn't know at the time. Uh, but my mom, bless her heart, she decided in 12th grade to go back to Puerto Rico. And I said, what? I've been working on this. And she's like, I don't care. We're gone. And she, she left. And so all of that went away. So when I was in Puerto Rico, I said, no, nah, okay, I'm going in the Air Force. I don't care which way. Officer enlisted. And so I took the, uh, what they call the ASVAB aptitude test. And they were looking for an overall score of 50 and above. I cut an overall score of 45. So when I went there, they were like, I'm sorry, we got a 50, you know, score requirement and, and you don't meet it I'm over here to the to the Navy, the office right next to it. And I said, here's my ASVAB. And they're like, whoa, I'm like, uh, these guys didn't want me. What, what's so whoa about it? It's like your science and your math scores are off the chart, man. You could be a meteorologist and oceanographer. And I looked at Air Force. I said, well, come to find out. I did. I signed and I went. I get to the school and guess who's in the school with the Navy, Air Force and the Marines. Look at that. They could have had me, but they but they were looking at one score. The Navy was looking at a separate set of scores. And that's that's how that worked out. And so 26 years later, I've been working with Air Force people because it's a joint environment all these years. They didn't take. What do you take from that? Destiny. A lot of times we think we know what it is that we want. And should have, you know, God had another had other plans, you know, even with the rough patch in the beginning, I was able to go up to the second highest level in terms of rank. I was first in a lot of events uh, in terms of milestones for my community and for myself. So I don't think that um, that would have came by if I would have went into Air Force because they have a different system. The way it was, it was that, hey, I was meant to be in the Navy and I was meant to be in that community and it worked. What happened after you left that community? Yeah. So after 26 years, retired, came to Orlando, I had an idea, right? We're talking about ideas in the beginning of owning my own business and leadership development. But, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I said, you know, I have a plan. I, I want to do this, do that. So I had it all mapped out. But, you know, you come out, you need to work. I don't need to work, but, I, you know, you feel like you need to work. So I said, you know what, let, let me try this thing at work. A couple of things fell through. We go through that as military retirees or, or, or veterans separating. You've been away for a long time from the world. It's not just, you know, uh, your family. It's, you've been away from the world. The world does not know you. One of the things that I encourage the civilian side of, of the world to understand is because you haven't seen us, but that doesn't mean we haven't been doing something. The onus is up to us to, to prove that anyway. And so there was a, a company that hired me and allowed me to structure my own position and my own job. And I did it within the framework of what my vision was for my company. And I did that for two years and, and it worked out. And so that's how I proved that my idea and my model would work in corporate America. If a leader should be doing it for themselves first, they just gave me the opportunity to do that. I love that. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? <laughs> Where has he seen the greatest failure? Because that's really what I address. 
That's a great question. Nobody has asked him that. I'm actually really interested to hear where he thinks the greatest failure in leadership is as well. What's next for you? Yeah, well, actually, I leave Friday for Texas A&M. I got selected for a, an entrep- a veteran entrepreneurship program. They take you through, you know, through all of your or what you have, and they make sure that you succeed. So I'm happy about that. And at the same time, at the same time, I got accepted for another program that actually piggies back at the end of it. And that's when that starts. And that's a six month long program also to help entrepreneurs solidify their business and, and their model and, and make it succeed. So the next six months, chock full of nothing but a lot of learning and a lot of implementing. So you'll see more of Triad Leadership Solutions. And more than likely, the, the, the beginning of so Triad Leadership Solutions was the whole idea was a three-pronged uh, company. One was me providing consulting. That's the base. Uh, second was establishing a job resource for senior enlisted leaders, those that have served at command level, you know, that are used to talking to captains, admirals, one, two, three, four stars, right? These are individuals that have gotten a different level of service. When they come out, they're just like us. They probably feel they got to start over, you know, and things like that. So I want to create a resource where I can funnel those particular folks that have that background into corporate America as an executive advisor to their C-suite. And so, you know, it's a collaboration. I have to develop that. And but that's the second leg. And the third is Triad Leadership Academy. That's where we have a building where we bring in corporate C-suite folks to separate from their company. So six months, great training, and hopefully the development of those two last legs of Triad Leadership Solution. We're going to be busy. Oh my God. Well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you for your service. I love the three pillars and I feel like we're going to need an update in six months because you are getting ready to majorly up level here. It is. It is. Uh, I'm excited. My, my hair stands up on my arm when I think about that I get to live this life. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And, and your garden's happy for you. The biggest <laughs> tomato of them all is cheering for you. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Bragway, let people know how they can connect with you, find your show, support you, all the good stuff. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. So triadleadershipsolutions.com is where uh, you can find us to get consulting. You can book it there and and we'd be happy to do that. We have two shows. One is uh, Developing the Leader Within podcast. And and you see that kind of in my background as a studio uh, but that's where we provide interviews with global leaders uh, so you can get a global perspective on leadership and not just something that's in-house, you know, that we're all accustomed to. This world is bigger than the United States, and there's a lot of great people out there. So we provide a lot of interviews. We're over 120 something by now. So we're happy about that. And Aloha Friday Live here on LinkedIn or on LinkedIn is where we interview all kinds of folks. Somebody you might know was on there, (laughs) but I thank you for being with me there. It's a fun, relaxed environment where we get to talk about the things that leaders wouldn't talk about themselves and and get you some more learning. So you can find me in any one of those. And obviously on LinkedIn, Enrique Acosta Gonzalez. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what daddy has to say. 
Let's switch it over to Grandpa. Enrique Gonzalez and Rena are discussing one of the most important subjects, what is good leadership, and also on the reverse side, that good leadership is necessary because if you have bad leadership, and sometimes leaders make a very, very big, disgusting mistake, which is, I think, his main question is that what is a failed leadership biggest hang-up? And sometimes a leader thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, no matter what, and doesn't listen to other people and doesn't necessarily hear other people's ideas and makes decisions too abruptly and doesn't really take into consideration everything and everybody and what they can do and what they can't do. But they think they're so smart that they have the answer no matter what. To me, that is a failure of good leadership. What I love about this broadcast also is that whether it's we're talking about farming, plants, everything takes time. Things take time to heal. Things take time to grow. And you have to have the discipline and the patience to let things happen, sometimes naturally. And to also, a good leader has to be able to take the time to think about all the variables before making a decision. However, when you're used to making good decisions and you have really an open mind and an experience over a broad range of things, you are able to do a two-minute drill and you are able to come up with decisions faster than someone else. But you have to still remember that it takes good fundamentals to make a good decision. Yeah, I loved his comparison to his farming. So many good lessons he's learned there. Well, and his military background, it's almost like we've talked about this before, that maybe everyone should serve their country where they understand what respect and loyalty and teamwork is about. You know, when you play a sport or you're defending your country, defending the, the right of choice and freedom of your country, that, that's a big responsibility. And people take pride in that. I liked how we talked about affirmation. That's also what the military talks about, is not just thinking of yourself, but helping others, mentoring others, having your teammate or your fellow soldiers back and making sure that everybody comes home and how important it is to have everybody's back. Regular people sometimes don't have that experience. And I thought it was quite ironic that my dad wanted to be in the Air Force, but his vision wasn't quite right. <laughs> when he enlisted, they said, you can't be in the Air Force. And he ended up joining the Navy. How does that story sound? A little familiar is that certain even branches of our own service, you could have an outstanding member in the Navy, and yet they don't qualify to be in the Air Force. And I guess vice versa. And yet when it came down to my dad during World War II, he was actually, for his skills as a, a communication officer, was on Admiral Nimitz's ship. And this is someone who played a very important role in World War II and in the Navy, not the Air Force. All right. It sounds like you connected to that story. I really liked him talking about righting a wrong. And that was his whole why behind creating his podcast. Well. It's very interesting because I agree with that. So many of the podcasts that we've done and what sometimes, as we talked about in the last episode, that sometimes a single event can change our whole destiny and our whole lives when a person sees something terrible that has happened to them and they want to try to see that it doesn't happen to anyone else. That's graduating, believe it or not, to a new level. But more importantly, if we can't 
fix ourselves first, we can't really help anybody else. So we have to really make sure that we make ourselves the best that we can be. And once you do that, you can help other people be the best that they can be. It's doing it in the right order of moves, just like a chess game, just like growing plants, just like doing if you're a fisherman or if you're a manufacturer of a certain business. Everything has an order of doing things. doesn't have to be exactly the same moves in each game. You have to be able to see and be able to pivot and adjust to the game that you're in. But the fact is, is that the right order of moves, the right decisions, you'll get much better results. How can you do that on no sleep? (laughs) Well, I like what you said also, is that sometimes the best thinking that we do can sometimes be in our sleep and thinking about it and sometimes just relaxing where there's nobody else around and to really be able to find that concentration where you have relaxed concentration, I think also you come up with better plans. And the more that you are able to concentrate on what you're doing and you're able to continue to develop that skill, then you can do things in a fast motion on the fire because you, you've really thought it all out on previous occasions. That's why your experience and other people's experience and ideas is so important to share. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thank you.